welcome to the show. This is the further discussion portion with Marty Bent. So this is where we take about an hour, hour and 15 minutes and just have an open dialogue about all things Bitcoin and the, the cool and interesting work that uh, Marty has been doing. If you haven't yet checked out the rapid fire segment, that's available as well. That's where we take about 20 minutes and a series of questions and Marty answers them one by one and then we do some fun word associations at the end. So if you haven't checked that out yet and you want to hear more from Marty, definitely do that. Otherwise, enjoy the show. Let's do it. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm excellent. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Um, I just finished listening to, you know, in preparation for this, listen to a bunch of the podcasts you've done in the past. Um, and there, I'm gonna, there's lots of stuff we'll discuss today, but I, for whatever reason, this might be creepy as fuck, but one of the first things I wanted to ask is just like, what is a day in the life of, of Marty Bent like at this stage? <laughs> um, right now, yeah. So I wake up, I write to Bent uh, during the weekdays. I write to Bent every day. So that usually occupies the first couple hours of my morning is getting up and uh, moseying over to my desk and sort of reading through uh, things that I bookmarked the day before and trying to pick something to write about uh, the first couple hours. And... Um, then I write the bent and try to get it out there. Uh, and then I also have a full-time job where I work from home, so I, I send emails and do stuff for that as well um, throughout that period. And then uh, some days when I'm posting podcasts, I'll have to edit too, so I have to edit sometimes. And uh, yeah, I like to get a workout, and working from home is very conducive for uh, for being able to uh, get workouts in and uh, be productive uh, on the content side and then also get my get my real job done as well um, it's uh, it's seductive too though man I worked from home for a period of my life as well and uh, you know the freedom is great and the flexibility but you know you got to be your own mat you got to be disciplined because it's really easy to like not wear pants and just surf around on Twitter all day long you know yeah like for example you caught me pre-shower today so um, <laughs> that's the other thing you can shower in the middle of the day which is good I was working in um, I was working in Dalian, China earlier in my career in finance, right? The financial sales, basically. And, um, you know, it was a, the whole thing was a shit show. But long story short, I was sent up there with a colleague of mine. We were in an apartment. We were trying to basically open up the region for, for the company. And uh, my manager, you know, we had like weekly calls with the manager and got on one, one Monday morning. You know, I had my, uh, you know, shirt on and no, no tie, but like, look like business casual, whatever. And he was like, how's it going up there? Like, everything's good? Like, yeah, yeah, you know, gave him the kind of spiel. And then he was like, do you like get up in the morning and put your suit on and go out and do a few meetings and then come back and kind of make it feel like you're at a normal, real job? I was like, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And, and he was like, so you're, you're wearing your suit right now? I was like, yeah, look, look at me. He was like, why don't you stand up for a second? And I was like, uh, why do you want me to stand up? And he was like, because I think maybe you're not wearing pants. <laughs> he, was, he was right. He, he busted me and I wasn't. But uh, anyways, yeah, working from home, ups and downs. Um, where should we start? So I'm, I'm curious about a number of different things that you're involved in from how you got started to the stuff that you're currently doing with media and how you see that playing out over time. But I guess I, I hope it's not too boring of a question, but I am intrigued. Not how not kind of the first touches that everybody has had with Bitcoin, but the, the eureka moment or the moment 
like where you realized it was uniquely special and caused the kind of snowball of events to actually get involved and do all the things you've subsequently done with it? Like what, what was that for you? Uh, so yeah, I, I mean, for me, like I was drawn to Bitcoin initially, uh, just because I was in college studying economics and was working at a managed futures fund, uh, interning, um, while I was in college and then working for a little bit, uh, working for a year at the fun after college. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I was pretty much scarred from 2008, 2009, uh, that financial crisis. I was a senior in high school and, uh, happened to take an economics elective class and that really sort of piqued my interest, uh, uh, when it comes to the world of money and, and economics and how it works. So I went to college with a very, you know, your enemy type mentality and, was really trying to understand what happened in 2008 in particular is what I try to focus my energy on in college and uh, just naturally taking economics classes and money and banking classes in particular, uh, having to Google things as simple as like monetary policy. Somehow I stumbled across Bitcoin and I uh, was really drawn to it from the, the monetary aspect of the sound digital currency. Um, so that was my sort of what piqued my interest, I think. The uh, the instance for me in which I really had like a eureka, like, oh, shit, this thing is really powerful moment was uh, well, I was uh, a Coinbase shift card holder back in the day when they had that, that debit card that you could load up with Bitcoin and spend anywhere. Um, and I, I never really used it, but I ended up in a situation where I was on a, on a vacation with my family and uh, I ran out of money and I just so happened to have... Uh, uh, a seed phrase on on me with from one of my Electrum wallets, um, and so I used that twelve words to sort of uh, took. I download. I borrowed my cousin's laptop, downloaded uh, an Electrum wallet, and recovered the seed with words that I just put in my put in my uh, briefcase, basically, and was able to conjure money using those twelve words, and then send it to my Coinbase and get money when I was in a pinch. And then for me, I was like, holy crap, this is. This is pretty crazy. Right. So back when you were researching, you know, in, in school, what when you first encountered it and were looking at it from a sound money perspective, what what year was that? It was probably like 2012, 2013, um, when I first sort of started dipping my toes in Bitcoin. Typical person uh, who gets in the Bitcoin first few times, they just sort of glanced over it and was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but then... Um, yeah, I think my senior year, particularly, I was taking a money banking, money and banking class, learning about fractional reserve and, and the the nature of QE and money printing. Which, uh, and then at the same time, I was working at the Managed Futures Fund, where I was writing commentaries, and we traded currency markets. And part of my job, writing commentaries, was try to be able to explain why uh, the currency markets moved the way they did. And once you come to follow currency markets, uh, you learn that central central banks really have uh, the most effect, uh, the, the largest effect on, on currency movements. And so I spent about three years reading central bank tea leaves and following their announcements and all their meetings. And um, again, they set all these projections and all these goals and uh, are really throwing darts at the, at the wall at the end of the day. And right. after three years of following and writing about them, I was like, oh, these guys really don't know what they're doing. Uh, yeah. Not that it's not even like they're, they're just really backed into a corner and that's, and they, they would say they were going to unwind at a certain point and wouldn't, or that they would, uh, 
hit these inflation goals that they wouldn't or these growth targets that they wouldn't. Um, and that I think the, uh, the constant, uh, sort of, uh, changing of the framing from the central banks as I was following really sort of rubbed me the wrong way and probably opened my eyes up to Bitcoin a bit more. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things on that. One is, you know, central bankers, especially these days, and, and back in 2008, 2009, you know, that was kind of, because when I first started looking at, you know, investing in the stock market and stuff, Alan Greenspan was like a god, right? And if he, you know, coughed two times at lunch, then the market moved, you know, is that kind of a thing? Uh, not, I wasn't like in the market, but I was intrigued and I was, you know, reading the classics like Ben Graham and all that kind of shit. And you hear about Alan Greens Greenspan and how influential he was. And I think 2008, 2009 was like when the veil was lifted for a lot of people. And subsequently, central bankers got a lot of criticism. Like they don't know what they're doing. They're idiots. And like, obviously, that's not true. They're, they're in those positions because they're intelligent in some capacity. I think it's just that they're playing the wrong game, you know, so they're, they're, they're playing a game that you almost can't win no matter how smart you are. No, I agree. And uh, it's funny that you said that people were holding Alan Greenspan up to this pedestal and following us everywhere. It's again, it's, it's hilarious. My time when I was uh, intently following the Fed's minutes and stuff like that, traders were really legitimately uh, basing their positions off the color of Janet Yellen's jacket and stuff like that. So things that really should not have any, uh, any influence on the way currency markets right? moves. Like what better sign is there of a perversion of a system than that? Yeah. Yeah, the, the the color of the the chair chairwoman's jacket is is going to uh, signal a a sentiment within the central bank, which will then affect currency markets. This is really not the way money working. But this was seriously like how some quants were trading these Fed minutes, and that's the crazy thing about these Fed minutes too. They they barely change from meeting to meeting. They change a few words, and that's how our financial system works now, especially in currency markets. And bond markets as well is they just take these Fed minutes and they have basically algorithms that see what they change within the minutes and then they try to derive the the connotation of the words and try to push that into a to a market price. It's it's not it's, the way money should be run. No, I, I was just you know so there's so much unnecessary behavior, bullshit, whatever you want to call it, as a result of having imperfect money having this kind of a perversion of the monetary standard. You get all this offshoot, ridiculous behavior just as a result of the foundation being, like, wrong, let's say. Yeah, and, it, and exactly. It's like, it got to a point for me, I was like 22, 23, I was like, this is, this is like, insane. I think it was specifically the, the, the jacket stuff that really got to me, where, like, people were commenting and, Creating trading strategies based off if purple, if she was wearing purple or red. You're just um, looking around like, what the fuck? Like, what? <laughs> this can't be fucking real. No, I was, and, and at that point, that was probably towards the end of my tenure at the Man of Futures Fund. But I was that that analyst sitting there, like, this is nuts. This is all crazy. We should be buying Bitcoin. Uh, I just got laughed at. But the the like the the kind of what I was getting at with the original question was. When you, when you first encountered it, not just like when you first actually started thinking about it, because there's two elements that I find, like I'm interested in how people got over. One is 
when they encountered it, how they saw the potential for it to be a better monetary medium than all the existing ones that were available, right? Like what about it allowed them to see that? And then the second part of that is how could, what inside of them allowed them to have the ambition or faith or whatever you want to call it, that something so small, so niche, so insignificant at that time, because market cap was like a couple billion dollars, right? I think back, something like that back then. And so yes. what, what, what could lead you to believe that it could actually perform that function? Ultimately. I mean, just, just having a, uh, uh, probably a more uh, intimate knowledge of how fucked up the, the current system is just from the fact that I was sort of forced to immerse myself in it and attempt to understand how it works. Like, again, I'm not an expert in trading futures or, or, or finance or, or markets, but I think the years I spent in college studying economics and then working at that fund in particular, like working at the fund, I learned the most because you, you're forced to talk with people who have traded markets for decades and you sort of get a, I got to feel like I got a good grasp about how every, how markets are connected and, and how price discovery happens uh, in our current market structure. Yeah. Um, and I just think also, well, while that was going on too, I remember like 2012, 2013, the Snowden leaks were happening. And I just think I was uh, a young, uh, malleable mind. I had been jaded by the financial crisis and was definitely jaded by the, the I still am, uh, by the incumbent system, the po political system, the monetary system. I just think it's uh, an anarchism that, that really doesn't, uh, work for for humans in the modern age. I'm a big believer that we are entering this weird, crazy, fast transition into the digital age, and we we are uh, applying industrial age thinking to a an age where that is not uh, advantageous for us. So, but like, and so the WikiLeaks and Snowden's were the the open source information. Aaron Schwartz before he passed away. Um, sort of the the ethos of sharing information was also something that uh, was very very strong in my mind at that time period too. So I think Bitcoin as an open source project uh, also was a no brainer. It's like all right, uh, I don't trust uh, these centralized systems to uh, look out for my best interests. Uh, Bitcoin provides uh, an opportunity to participate and make sure that you don't get fucked over, um, and that was very appeasing to me, especially in that time. Yeah. Yeah, and I think lots of people saw the, the flaws that you just covered in, in the system, right? I mean, if you were paying attention at all, it seems like it, it was hard not to. But I just, what I find unique and special and, you know, I'm sure the reason why you're where you're at today and the role that you're playing in the, in the ecosystem is because, you know, those reasons that you were just articulated and probably others that you're, you're not even maybe consciously aware of, when you saw the thing, you had the... The ambition, maybe even the uh, the uh, what's the word? Can't think of it. But like it made you go after go after it, spend time learning more about it, and actually engage with it when others might have or many others did think, yeah, there's lots of problems, but I can't see how this thing is gonna is gonna fix it. Now here we are, ten years later from the from the beginning, and I mean there's still many hurdles ahead, but it's seeming more and more like. It's hard to, to deny that this is, at the very least, going to shake things up a lot. Whether or not it ultimately succeeds, you know, who can say, but going to shake things up a lot. Yeah, no, and I, I, it's, I'm probably also drawn to it. I'm like a thrill seeker. I like uh, 
I like risk. Uh, uh, not that I'm a gambler or anything more of a, from a sports aspect, like skateboarding, snowboarding, all that stuff. And really like, uh, like the, the punk scene and stuff like that. And, and sort of taking your own beaten path and Bitcoin yeah. provided that opportunity for me at a, at a very pivotal point in my, my, uh, young adult life. Yeah. And now it's, it's, yeah, we got we got one life. Might as well send it, right? Amen, man. Amen. Big pro big problems are fun to work on. Yeah, and for me, it's been a you know this podcast was kind of the genesis of that process unfolding over time. You know, like I I I've told the story already on the podcast, my origin story. But long story short, I started interviewing people in 2015, just you know to learn more and to get my rocks off, talk about it with people because. You know, it's everyone who's in the space loves to find another Bitcoiner to like, you know, jam with because there's not many of us, or at least, and especially at the time there wasn't. Um, but I, you know, over, over time it just pulls you in further and further. And then, you know, in my experience was that life went in other directions and it maybe pulls you away for a while and you take your eye off it, but it just has this gravity that keeps pulling you in. And then I think, you know, we were talking about the perversions that the old, system has created like the old system the old monetary standard has created and continues to perpetuate it seems like the gravity of bitcoin pulls on you more and more over time but it also pulls out of you or it it like forces you to determine with more clarity than perhaps anything else you've ever kind of done what unique aspect of you it requires or, or can benefit it and kind of draws it out of you. And it, for some reason, the nature of the thing gives you the faith or confidence to maybe do that. And we're seeing this in like a floor, the, the space is amazing. And I want to, you know, I'll get you to touch on that because part of the stuff you guys do at uh, TFTC is, you know, you, you kind of aggregate some of the top happenings in the space so that we all don't have to, you know, do that. You do it for us. You explain things going on and like when I listen to the show I'm like holy fuck like every every week there's there's more cool shit going on and it's like the far majority is really cool people doing really cool shit building out this space and contributing to it in like in the way that they're uniquely capable of of doing so yeah no it goes back to bitcoin providing this there's many points here. Bitcoin providing this common mission that we've all sort of coalesced on. That's one thing. And then the other thing, like how it changes you, really forces, I mean, it's a big topic in Bitcoin, forces time preference to the front of your mind. So uh, you're constantly weighing opportunity cost and, and thinking of your future self, if you will. So you're, you've got your future self sitting on your shoulder at all times. I feel like the, the more, and it gets louder, the, the more you get into Bitcoin. Um, and then again, yeah, so it's, it's, incredible opportunity and going back to the perversions that the current system enables and uh one of those being like it forces people into the workplace where they may not have otherwise had to go into the workforce if they had an ability to save money over time and accumulate capital to invest and invest in productive capital in particular um and this sort of leads to again and so the perversion of the system in my mind revolves around the the uh, growth at all cost goal and mindset. So consumption for consumption's sake and a conspicuous consumption driven society. Um, and that I think has really fucked up the, the, the psyche of, of Americans and the world at large in general, because you're 
uh, again, forced into this rat race, into the workplace. You, both both uh, parents in a, in a household now are where uh, they were able to survive on one income only five or six decades ago. And then uh, everybody was forced into the workforce. And now you have parents working, not spending time with their kids. And they're still making ends meet, working paycheck to paycheck. I just think over time, over a generation, over two generations, this is starting to weigh on society. And you're having, you're seeing this uh, sort of amalgamate itself with, I don't know if amalgamate was right there. You're seeing it metastasize, and it's uh, it's sort of showing itself in like the opioid crisis that we have now, and um, suicide rates going up. And I think it's uh, because people are forced uh, into this conspicuous consumption mindset. Like, uh, got it, got to spend, got to spend. Saving is impossible. And if not impossible, like frowned upon by, by some people for some reason. Yeah. Uh, and I just, again, the perversions that, that stem from, uh, in my opinion, uh, the unabashed money printing, it, pretty, pretty drastic and they're acidic. Too. So it's slowly over time. It's like frogs boiling in water. You wake up and uh, a quarter of the country is addicted to opioids and everybody's working paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. And I think, I think yeah. there's a strong case we made that, you know, that's an expected situation when money is both created out of debt and, is, it can, and the value of that money can be inflated away. So it's kind of like everybody is forced to stay on the hamster wheel because their value is literally being eroded away as they go, you know, so they can't stop. They got to keep feeding it. Well, that and the other point that I forgot to make that I really want to make is that you're forced into jobs that you don't like. So you're sitting there nine to five in a fluorescently lighted office with people you don't like. You're eating unhealthy food. You're breaking your back at your desk and you're barely getting by. And that just creates a terrible mentality and going back and bringing this back to Bitcoin and like you were saying, yeah, there's something to talk about on the show because people are building stuff and it's like I don't, like most people sitting at nine to five jobs, sitting in cubes are not excited about what they're doing um, yeah. and that's the thing about Bitcoin, it's so exciting because it's so raw and again, it's open source nature makes it so, if you so want to build it, you can attempt to and yeah. I think that draws a lot of people in and again, I think it on top of that, being able to build on top of it provides a common purpose for the people in Bitcoin where uh, there's not other outside of religion. I mean, I hate to bring religion into it, but like outside of religion and it's unavoidable. team sports and other things, which may not be as per like sports and other things outside of work, which may not be as purposeful, like working to build a new money is, is very, uh, very purposeful, I would argue. And, and, and entices a lot of people who want to have a purposeful life and want to work on something sure that actually matters 100 percent. you know in in startup culture and and that kind of thing they talk a lot about you know from a managerial perspective you know like start with why get get the crew on board to know why you're doing this thing like if you if it's spacex it's so that humanity can be multi-planetary in the event that we need to evacuate earth that kind of shtick right and people think wow that's a real big like meaningful goal and objective to have and you know with with bitcoin once you get into it once people start to see one the detrimental attributes of the current system and the the negative behavior that you just described and many many others and then the flip side of that is the potential for the types of behavior the types of lifestyle the types of interactions type of world that we could have if a different standard was adopted and something like bitcoin 
I think, I mean, it's hard to conceive of a more meaningful why, like to get people on board. It's like once people start to see the many different ways and the scale at which this thing could possibly beneficially impact humanity, it's like it sucks you the fuck in because you're like, what, what, I can't, I'm not seeing many things more meaningful than that, that mission. You know what I mean? No, I totally know what you mean. And the other thing about Bitcoin is, again, it presents something actionable. A lot of people like to just pontificate right. about their problems. And like one of my favorite to pick on is people who are like global warming freaks. Like they're screaming and they're calling for green new deals. And all that means is you give more money to politicians to throw money at the wall to see if they can fix the problem, which I don't think is likely to be solved by, uh, by the political class. Right. Bitcoin prevents excuse me, prevents, presents a, a actionable uh, thing that we can do to combat climate change right now by being more energy efficient, like by not flaring gas, by capping it, using it to mine Bitcoin. Like you can do that today. You can work on saving the environment today. You can work on saving uh, the future of money today with Bitcoin. And um, that's like for a world that loves to complain. We live in a world that loves to complain. And nobody likes to take action. That's that's something I uh, a principle I try not to I, I try not to to talk about stuff. I try to uh, take action yeah. and and not be an activist, but be an actor, act, and do things. Totally, man. I I couldn't agree more. And I think you know I've, I've mentioned this a little bit on Twitter and talk about it from time to time. But you know I think if you want to frame it in that way, and perhaps it's not the best way to frame it, but it's, you know it's not. It's not totally off base, but if, like I keep saying, like the, the main protest move, it, movement of our time is this one. So if, and I, I feel like a lot of people who are, as you mentioned, activists and not actors, fail to see the degree to which this issue impacts many of the issues that people protest about and complain about and all that kind of stuff. Whether it's a result of a government with too much power, whether it's a result of corporate and industry and whatever what have you gaming the system and you know I, I, people I think would benefit from seeing how how a lot of those issues that they've been vocal about could be ameliorated if not outright fixed by fixing this the problem at source which is a better monetary standard and in this case you know obviously we think that could be Bitcoin and then it would just naturally take care of a lot of the downstream ones yeah no, I mean Bitcoin is what Occupy Wall Street wanted to be. Um, it is again it's the actionable Occupy Wall Street. Um, and um, I was I had something. What was the last thing you said? I was just saying that all these protest movements would be fixed if you fix the problem at a foundational <clears throat> level. And then yes, exactly. And that's so. And that's another thing that dismays me about the current state of the word, world is. The fact like everybody's swinging at branches and Bitcoin gets to the core of the problem. Like when I look at the, especially here in America, the, the red versus blue politics and the, the shit flinging that goes on in our political realm, it, it's and the framing of, of the conversations and, and the extent to which things are debated is very, very shallow in my mind. And, and um, Everything that they focus on is, is a branch and not the core of the problem. People are focusing on branches when they should be thinking about the money. Again, everything stems from money. And this is another thing I like to 
talk a lot about on the podcast and the newsletter and in the newsletter is this is something that has been echoed throughout history. Like you go back to your your Stoic philosophers, you go back to uh, four millennia ago to uh, like ancient Sumeria. Like people were, were warning about the money, monetary system and hard assets in particular. Like don't fuck up the money, and then you go forward. A uh, hundred years or thousands of years to uh, the American Revolution, you have a lot of the founding fathers saying, "Don't fuck up the money." And um, it's in pop culture, money is the root of all evil. Like, yeah, it, everything is driven by money, um, and nobody understands what it is. And uh, throughout time, people have warned, um, "Be careful with the money. Take care of the money." And we live in a time where we're really not taking care of the money, and yeah. it's because people don't know what money is and that's the question is, is that intentional? Have we intentionally not, uh, not been educated about our monetary system? Uh, I know, uh, I had to do a lot of my own research to learn certain aspects of it, uh, even when studying economics in college, um, or is it, uh, just gotten out of hand and, and, and there hasn't been enough focus on it in a couple decades that the generation has basically just lost sight of it. Probably both, you know, like I think the, the, it's too obvious, too important of a organizing mechanism for human behavior and the benefits to be derived from co-opting that, that the people that have done so wouldn't try to cover their tracks a little bit. I mean, that's inconceivable. But also, you know, culture gets away with things and people, you know, you don't have, you don't have to invoke like conspiracy theories oftentimes because, you know, your average person who's swooped up in culture if, if they're not uber curious and, and desire to find their own answers for stuff, you're not going to have to like do too much uh, persuading one way or the other, you know, their own, their own drives and shit will, will take care of a lot of that for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, no, and it's weird how, again, like our current condition is really changing that dynamic. I think, especially with the internet, the exchange of information and people being able to learn, uh, about the ways in which uh, loopholes are being taken advantage of in the system. And, yeah. um, and again, Bitcoin's open source nature sort of uh, protects us from that in the future if we do transition to a system, to a Bitcoin standard, or um, Bitcoin does become at least widely adopted. Yeah. I, I think you mentioned like early civilizations, and I've been hugely fascinated by ancient cultures, Egypt, Sumeria, you know, India, all, just super fascinating to me. But one of the things that I, particularly with Egypt, um, one of the things I always thought was interesting is that like they had a pretty consistent culture for like 3,000 years. Like we can't even conceive of, of, of things staying the same. I know there was political changes and stuff, but like their architecture and their art and everything like pretty much was the same for that period of time. And I'm not saying it was rudimentary. It was just advanced as fuck. I mean, I've, I've been there and checked it all out. It's incredible. But my point is, is like we go back, you know, a hundred years from today and people are wearing top hats and canes and like suits and all that stuff. And 200 years, people are wearing like the little frilly white things around their neck. Like think, you know, things, it's inconceivable for, for us to, to, uh, think of those time periods without much changing, but even so, the status quo, the, like the current moment bias is so powerful that 
people, you know, we're kind of oblivious to the to changes that are happening around us. You rewind 10 or 20 years and you look at photos from, from back then, you're like, what the fuck was I wearing? Like, that looks so weird. And look at my haircut and stuff. But it's hard to see in the moment. And I just think if we zoom out, things are happening at breakneck speed. The way that, that, that media and the internet has disrupted the, you know, the way that information and knowledge is disseminated and how that's in, impacting all of our institutions, government, education, everything. And now this, this other one that started 10 years ago, which was, is, is shaking up money, like 10 years seems like kind of a long time. And even though everyone in the Bitcoin space, you know, kind of thinks things are going pretty darn quickly, there's still like this, you know, bias that our time, the way that our time passes doesn't change. So we're still kind of stuck in seeing things progressing at that speed. But, you know, when this period is looked back at, I mean, what's 10, 20 years in the historical records, a flash of a pen. And for such a momentous, momentous change to have occurred in that time is going to seem like, it, like, of course, it's going to be disruptive because it's going to be way, way faster than any changes that preceded it. Yeah, I mean, it's Bitcoin Tina's favorite quote. Uh, my favorite quote of Bitcoin Tina is Bitcoin is exponential technology. No, and you see it, yeah. it again. That's actually what I wrote about yesterday at the Ben. It's surprising this year. Not many people are talking about it. Um, and it's happened somewhat silently and, and gone under the radar. But the, the network hash rate has more than doubled. Uh, it started yeah. out at 42 exahash a second at the beginning of the year, hit 88 on 88 exahash a second. Uh, on Monday, and then it, I think I believe it hit 102 exahash yesterday, actually, at some point. So it could potentially triple this year if it keeps this pace up. And um, that is one of my favorite fundamental signals is hash rate because it signals that uh, more people are taking on risk at the mining level, which is the base yeah. level, um, and dumping it into the space. And um, it's something that's very underscored this year in particular and something that's happening quickly yeah. is uh, the the computing power uh, connecting to Bitcoin and, and, and mining on top of it. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's weird how it gets, you know, on the kind of tops of the bull runs that the public comes in, the media attention comes in, and everybody is watching it. And obviously there's a lot of malinvestment and that sort of stuff. And then it pops and everybody just turns off or turns negative. Like they, they either got burned and they're like, I'm not – I'm not getting burned again. I'm not an idiot. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me sort of thing. Uh, or they're just, they, it just kind of fades back into the background. And, you know, it's amazing how much we kind of self-compartmentalize the things that we expose ourselves to. And, like, for you know, Bitcoin Twitter is a great example. So I, I up until, like, a few months ago, I've never been active on Twitter because I just didn't really give a fuck what, like, I used it as my own news and I didn't really care to engage much. And then, you know, slowly but surely... I guess I got, just by happenstance, I followed more and more people that were in Bitcoin Twitter, and all of a sudden, Bitcoin Twitter is an <laughs> entity that I can, like, behold, I, I know I'm in there. And, uh, you know, but for, for the majority of people on Earth, that doesn't even exist. Like, to me and you, Bitcoin Twitter is where it's going down. We're learning about all the most relevant shit in our worlds, right? But, but to my mom and dad, to, you know, many friends, to all sorts of other people in the world, that's not even an entity that they that they know exists and so it's so funny how based on our interests and based on our ambitions and based on our you know personalities and stuff we create these worlds these bubbles for ourselves and i think that's part of the reason why you know the hash rate can be doing what it's doing and the, there's so much development in the bitcoin space and there's like 
this thing ain't, we all know this ain't over. This is just getting started. But for, for people in other bubbles, it's just, it's not a thing. Not right now. That's, it's funny when, uh, when somebody wanders into Bitcoin Twitter from another Twitter bubble and they, and they get to see the madness. And, uh, <laughs> it's funny seeing, uh, seeing outsiders reactions to Bitcoin Twitter because it is uh, a very volatile place, just like the price of Bitcoin. But uh, no, it's, and it's important too. It's, uh, it's great that we have a quasi public forum where uh, we can basically have a meritocratic debate, right? Like a Socratic debate online in front of everybody and, uh, the cream rises to the top, at least in my mind, uh, yeah. it usually does. And, uh, it's, I think, it's I a think it's, thing. I think it's awesome, man. And I, like, I don't, I think you only think it's like hardcore or, or, or abrasive or whatever you want to call it. If, I mean, who can't, like, who can't handle, that's, you gotta be able to handle that kind of shit. And you might put out a, an idea and it might get shit on a little bit and you should take that as saying either okay, like, I'm going to stand behind this and, you know, get after it a little bit and we'll really see, you know, who's right or wrong. Or, great, you know, I just, I, I, I refined an idea. And if there's a little bit of, like, jabbing here and there, I mean, come on, this is, who cares? Yeah, it's, uh, I think you, yeah, if you're, especially Bitcoin Twitter, you have to enter it with the mindset that it is, uh, again, like a, a market for ideas and they're right. going to be uh, critically um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're going to be tested. They're going to be tested very critically, and people are going to have strong opinions one way or another, and that's fine. That's like, like I recorded a podcast last night, and um, topic of somebody who uh, is a particular journalist who rubs a lot of Bitcoiners the wrong way uh, because he has differing thoughts on interest rates and and whatnot, and um, I just. It, it, some people get personal and say, ah, there's no reason to get personal. Somebody just has a different idea. It's fine. Yeah, um, totally. Got to take the, got to try to take the ego out of it. Absolutely. And it's all going to play out in the end, right? So, you know, it doesn't, you don't get points for being right right now. We're going to see, and it's all being recorded too. So, you know, what I find uh, interesting, and I think, you know, people that, and this is a great tell of people who are, are treating things in the most expedient way versus long-term, more kind of, uh, founded in a humility and a stronger more sense of morality is like all those people who in 2017 were like shilling every like scheme under the sun sun ico 100x your shit like all this kind of stuff i mean people saw that and so when if they if they want to try to come back into the space now and like act like everything's cool like maybe maybe they maybe people are fine with getting them back in in some capacity but you know uh people showed their character and, and stuff like that in, in that period and you know i don't think people are going to forget super easily and that that that's the trade-off you made at the time you thought you could make a quick buck by rep representing yourself in one way and now times are different and what are you going to do if you sold your reputation so cheaply yeah this is uh, also a reputation game a long term like to, again talk about time preference uh it is a long term game and um while it may have been uh, worthwhile financially to to chase the those i c o bubbles and the shitcoin bubbles of years past it, it definitely uh has not produced much uh other than uh burned money um uh, but yes i I do believe in repentance as long as you're 
uh, upfront with, hey, I was wrong. And there are a lot of people are genuinely or do genuinely believe that or did believe that uh, those funding mechanisms would lead to uh, distributed apps or whatever. Unfortunately, yeah. it didn't turn out. But there, there, there are great examples out there of people who uh, were, were just wrong but have admitted it. And if you're – that's the other thing. Like if you are wrong, just don't cling to being wrong. If you admit it and move on, I think that's much better. Uh, and again, it's, this is a long-term reputation game. And um, clinging to being wrong is not is not advantageous. Give up and uh, – admit that you're wrong and move on. Yeah. You know, something you mentioned a second ago, kind of the, how Bitcoin Twitter, Twitter is kind of like the Socratic, involves the Socratic method and things like that. When I was speaking with uh, our mutual friend, I think American Hoddle, which I hear you guys might, might be speaking with in the not too distant future. Um, you know, he, he, he actually made the point like Bitcoin Twitter is such an, imagine if you, if there was a record, a written record, you could have been a fly on the wall, whatever during that time period, you know, where Socrates is up there, like, you know, calling out everybody and seems like this crazy person. And, you know, he, he, his behavior and the things he's saying is counter to the, the status quo. And as a result, he gets, you know, he gets in trouble. Imagine if we like could have been there to hear everybody talking hear like all sorts of different people and their commentary and what they thought about it. Like, would, wouldn't that be interesting? And that's what we have for this time period. I mean, it's going to be a, it's going to be so cool to look back on it in twenty, thirty years, and, and this this will be in textbooks or you know brain downloads, however people learn in the future. All, all of this, the, this commentary, or not all of it, but like it will be drawn on to showcase how people were thinking, how people were interacting. It's it's incredible. It's it's incredible and it's scary too. Uh, this is why <laughs> this is also why tweets. Make sure you're tamp, uh, stamping tweets out there. There, there are people who uh, like to delete tweets out there, so we need to stamp as many as possible so they're uh, saved for eternity. But yeah, no, it's it's like, and that's so. I'm from Philadelphia originally, and I grew up fascinated with the American Revolution and the founding fathers in particular, um, and what they achieved at Independence Mall. Um, and that's and then if you go to Independence Hall, like you, uh, you just have pictures of, of the founding fathers having debates while they're writing um, the Declaration of Independence and, and the Bill of Rights and, and so forth. And it's, I just have vivid memories of going to those museums and the places in Philadelphia where the Founding Fathers sort of congregated and, and looking at those pictures and being like, what the hell were they saying? What were those conversations like? Right? I mean, um, fuck. Yeah. It would be so cool if you could transport yourself back there. You know, or yeah, no. I, I thought about before too, you know, and this probably didn't happen in one specific place, but when gold became a, you know, a monetary medium that was, that was broadly used, I mean, it would have been cool to hear what people were saying then, like whether they went from shells or rocks or tied knots or whatever the fuck they were using to discovering gold and realizing this was a, a good thing to use. That, I mean, that would be amazing to see how people were reacting at the time. Yeah, it's... I'm a history. Uh, I'm a history freak, so I think about the, that kind of shit a lot. No, and it's like, how is history going to change? Going like, how like, is there too much information to to delve through for future generations? Because we're just putting it all on the internet every day, and the amount of information. So, what was the stat? I did a podcast with David Bailey, and I think the stat he gave me was we upload more recorded history in one day than was ever recorded between like. 4000 BC and like 2000 AD. Yeah. So like now 
what took 6,000 years of history were the same amount of information we're, we're downloading that on the internet daily. Yeah. Um, and you know, yeah, which Hoddle actually made the same analogy for Bitcoin saying that at some point in the future, more value will be created or represented in Bitcoin as all of like, you know, the previous 99% of, of history, which we can't conceive of right now. But, it, you know, if, if the, if the, if the correlation or comparison to data and information is similar, then it's not that far-fetched. No, and it's, again, going back to Bitcoin, Tina's exponential technologies. And again, that's just a function of our monkey brains. We cannot uh, sort of comprehend exponential growth in, in real time. Um, we're used to linear growth. Uh, and yeah, we're, we're in the middle of an exponential technology boom yeah. with the internet and Bitcoin combined, I would argue. So considering... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm not going to pretend like I know what's going to happen in the future. I just know it's going to be a, a lot different than it is today. Do you, you know, considering that it's impossible, but when you, uh, when you let your mind wander a bit, whatever period in the future, let, let's say 20, 30, 40 years, do you have any sort of, yeah, any sort of idea what things might be like if you could attempt to extrapolate from where we are today? I don't know. Um, yeah, you have to go like optimistic, pessimistic view. Let's go optimistic. Um, yeah, optimistically, I just think hopefully over the yeah the next third next generation, I think is actually inevitable um, as children are born today and probably going go back ten years as well to the the onset of social media, um, and that's really when. The spread of information exploded in my mind in particular. So like 40 to 30 to 40 years ahead of that, like you're going to have a whole generation that grew up on the internet. And again, like going back to what I was touching on earlier, like the, the current system is just so archaic and anachronistic that, um, that it doesn't, it does not serve them. And hopefully in my optimistic view of the future, humans in general have broken, uh, from the shackles of, of, of the state and the state's control over uh, information, finance, whatever, and people have taken it back into their own hands and are able to build a, a, a more equitable, fair world uh, with open source technologies. And hopefully that leads to, to more flourishing. And, and I, I'd like to think in 30 years, too, the, the, the world will be more low time preference and we'll have more. Uh, missions to space and we'll be uh, trying to build things that last for for millennia like like the things that the ancient Romans built and um, other societies that that uh, sort of stood the test of time yeah yeah I I, I, I agree a lot with, with what you just said and I, I think it's interesting obviously there's lots of things that are fucked up about the world and society today but it's I mean I don't know how much opportunity you've had to travel, but I've traveled pretty extensively and I just meet fucking amazing people everywhere, you know? And like, obviously a, a unified culture has kind of emerged in the world as a result of the internet, right? So that people, you know, we're, we all have the, the same access more or less to uh, the same information. And, you know, some, if you're cool with people, people are cool with you and like people want to be healthy and have fun and and work on and work on things that are meaningful to them and and develop meaningful relationships with other people and I, I just think like if 
the world we have today, drawbacks, yes, but also a lot of really awesome stuff going on. If that's the world we get out of the current system, then fuck, like what kind of world could we get out of one that we improved dramatically from the foundation? I mean, it's, I'm just super excited by it. Yeah, and it's, I'm just like infinitely excited about it because, again, <laughs> it's, it provides us, like, I was very, very uh, pessimistic, like, in college before. Me too, man. This is cheesy. It's said a lot by a lot of Bitcoiners, but, like, uh, re- really felt like I had no power in the world. Like, there's nothing I could, like, yes, I could climb the corporate ladder at some financial firm or something like that, but at the end of the day, um, I think the the South Park episode, uh, vote or die, really sticks with me still to this day. Like you're voting. Like I think when I was whenever I watched that for the first time when I was 13, 14, that really has stuck in my head. Like you're voting between a douchebag and a turd sandwich. You're you're not really <laughs> affecting anything. You're you're given an illusion of choice. Sure. And, uh, so at the end of the day, uh, the the powers that be are going to get what they want and everything. The, Voting, like voting especially, is uh, a sideshow where you're presented an illusion of choice and you're really not affecting anything. And again, Bitcoin has provided an optimism that uh, provides an opportunity to to affect change and and bring your vision of the world into reality. Yeah, uh, I couldn't I I couldn't agree more. And and this conversation, you know, people listening might even be you know rolling their eyes that I'm I'm having it again because it's it's every Bitcoiner I speak to. I can't think of one that, that I've spoken to that hasn't said something similar. Like there was a hopelessness, there was, there was uh, you know, um, a, a kind of given up hedonistic sort of attitude. There was depression. There were all, all of those sorts of things were bundled into like how they saw the world and, and how they were going to go forth as a young person and interact in it. And the ones that have come to, <laughs> come to Jesus, come, come to Bitcoin, um, come you know they that that has changed dramatically like it, it now it seems like like to use your term you know we're not powerless in this fight we're not without weapon we're not without you know hope now that all those things do exist and it's not a foregone conclusion i think that's why we all feel so motivated to like put energy into it to to help build it to contribute to it everything like that but now it's like no this this world can be the way that we might have uh, envisioned it in the past when we were looking through it through overly optimistic eyes and then we were smacked in the face by the reality of the world when we grew up a little bit like no it, it can be it can be a hell of a lot better than we thought it could be uh, it just requires our determination and effort and uh, I mean that's such a powerful thing like you said you know a lot of people wake up in the morning go to the job they hate interact with people that they don't all that much like in an in a office with halogen bulbs you know and all that kind of shit and that's a miserable a miserable existence and then you get your rocks off on the on the weekend and in between when you know and as a result of only having that limited time to do so you rat you turn up the volume right you get fucking wrecked or you you know that's the culture we have and i i, I mean to be able to wake up and smile and be like one i get to engage in something that i find meaningful today that's awesome Two, I, I see a future that's brighter than, than I did before, that's brighter than the current situation. I mean, that's such powerful shit. I mean, I think there's a huge role to be played in, in Bitcoin education for mental health. And I know it sounds weird because, you know, it's, it's a tech phenomenon, a monetary thing. But I was joking with someone recently that, 
you know, there's a, there's a, psychedelics are beginning to be, in, in 2021, I think, phase three trials will be finished and it'll be available for uh, treatment for depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. And so this is a psychedelic therapy in combination with psychotherapy, right? And I've only half jokingly kind of said, they should add a little Bitcoin education into that because, you know, those things help you reintegrate the past and kind of have gratitude for your present. But that's still kind of like, how do you overcome the seemingly insurmountable um, things in society that are prohibiting the, that kind of better future that you have in your mind from materializing? Maybe a little, maybe a little Bitcoin in your life will help you see things a bit differently, <laughs> you know? That, no, I'm a, actually, Psychedelics probably helped turn me towards Bitcoin as well. Um, I, th I think you're probably not alone. Yeah, um, definitely helped nudge me more like in the area as well. But yeah, it's it's again like the uh, a story. I don't think I've ever told this on a podcast or anything. But it's not really a story. It's just it's, and again, it's right before I quit the hedge fund. I sort of noted not the the managed futures fund. I noticed that. Um, so we were. I worked in the West Loop in Chicago, and I had to get off at Quincy L stop uh, and and walk west across the river past Union Station and Union Station's the train station where everybody comes uh, from the suburbs, and uh, it was crazy. So I had to walk past Union Station west, past as people were walking east into the Loop, and especially in the winter, it was it was crazy to see like even no matter how cold it was, people were like walking like zombies, like very slowly. You can tell they were. Um, dreading going to where they were going. And then uh, when I would go catch the L home and walk east, as people were walking back to the train, they would literally be sprinting to the train, like, get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> and at like, so I, I worked at, at the managed futures from, from like 19 to 22, and like over four years, finally, like the last couple of months I was there, I was like, these people, these people are like walking like zombies to work and running as fast as they can at the end of the day. And that's every day um, that stuff's going on. It's just, again, it's not, we're humans, we're animals at the end of the day. We're supposed to enjoy this life. Again, you only have one life and a lot of people waste it doing things they don't like for people they don't care about. It, it's, for it's, things that are essentially... <clears throat> worthless at the end of the day it's just it's just a job for a job's sake it's a, it's a tragedy it's a tragedy man and i you know I, i'm not uh excluded from it like even recently uh, you know up until a few years ago i i was working in a job where um the days off were sporadic right so just it depended on if there was clients so i remember i worked for a 28 day straight period right and i had an hour-long commute on the subway each way every day and, you know, that's however many days in. And I'm someone who's, you know, I don't, I don't like check out easily. I like to stay aware and be thoughtful and have an intellectual curiosity kind of always running in the background. But on day like 20 or whatever it was, and I was just a wake up, get on the subway with my headphones on, work, get on the subway, come back, eat, sleep, repeat, repeat, repeat. Like, I remember I had this moment in the subway car where I was just, I snapped out of the zombie mode. I was like, fuck, like, I, I've just been on autopilot for like two or three weeks. I mean, it made me think of like, you know, American Psycho where he's just like, he's like, I can't remember the monologue, but he's like, I'm just simply not there, you know, like in, in talking yeah. about his interactions and stuff. And obviously that's terrifying, not that I had any inclination to, you know, 
become a mass murderer, but you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, it's it's a scary situation, and uh, you know the fact that the, and yeah, the fact that this is providing people possibly an opportunity to to opt out is uh, I think a tremendous thing, and you know, just one story that I've never told and, and never even really um, thought about up until something that you just mentioned, but you know, I think we were we mutually looked out at the world when we were, let's say, university age and saw kind of these insurmountable forces. And that caused a lot of hopelessness or, or doubt or whatever we want to call it. And I was looking at this and thinking, oh, yeah, this is how it is, psychedelics and how you it helped you come to Bitcoin. For me, it was the reverse. I was looking at the way banking worked and the way the financial system worked and all that kind of stuff. And I was thinking like, the people at the helm of this have so much money and power. What could possibly be motivating them to have more and more and more? And whether or not that assessment was was correct, and it may it may not have been, but I believed it at the time. And I was like, "There's got to be something beyond the material that's motivating people." And so this led me down like a rabbit hole. And you know, psychedelics were one of the domains where I was like, "Maybe there's a, there's a secret in that realm." That these, you know, that these people know about or are motivated by or whatever. And then once I went down that realm, it kind of all opened up, and uh, I, I dropped that line of thinking to some, to you know, to some degree. But I, that is kind of how I got there. I was, I was wondering what more there could be, you know, and, and that's kind of how I got down there. No, and what drives the people in power, especially considering how much they have, and I do think it is power. And again, that's why I think Bitcoin's important because I do think the world is run by a bunch of psychopaths. Like to be, <laughs> to be, to want to attain the level of leadership that it takes to become the president or even like a sitting senator, you have to be a psycho. No, like the 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 personality traits of the people in those positions are not. Uh, are not good personality traits in my mind. And we need to get the psychos away from the decision-making, and Bitcoin does that via code. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I agree. And I think it's lost on most people how this, the current system actually incentivizes, kind of plucks out people with those those character traits and actually rewards it. Where So it's kind of like the system is incentivizing this is the wrong thing, and that's probably why it's at least partially you know fucked up. There's some good people in there too, you know, but... No, it all comes back to incentives. Like that's what humans are driven by incentives. And again, the incentive of the current monetary system is the Cantillon effect. Like we are going to uh, take control of the money, and then we and our friends closest to this monetary spigot are gonna are going to benefit uh, greatly uh, right. at the peril of the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, and that's just a function of how money works today. And it literally allows this accumulation. It enables this accumulation of wealth that you're, you were alluding to earlier, and it's uh, again, I, yeah, I, I think it needs to stop, and that's that's why I Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, last question, Marty, before we get into the rapid fire, but what? Actually, it's a two-part question. One, I heard you speak uh, on a recent podcast say that kind of Bitcoin's taught you some hard lessons, and I think you're probably not alone with that. I think we've all been either burned or humbled or learned some things as a result of interacting with Bitcoin. Um, what, what are those for you specifically? Um, probably just make sure you trust yourself and your own judgment before you trust anybody else. Yeah. And again, the, the lesson of extreme ownership, like you, 
have to take extreme ownership of, of your life. And, um, yeah, if you're not careful, you could, you could fuck up along the way and trading, whether it be trading shit coins or spending your Bitcoin on stupid investments, whatever it may be. Um, yeah, hard lessons to learn that, uh, looking back, happy I, I, I learned them. Um, and yeah, again, it comes back to like extreme ownership. Like it forces you again, it forces you to really know who you are and, and what action you want to take in this world. And especially, um, in the sense of like taking control of your wealth and, um, having, having your boxes checked off per se. Yeah. I mean, it really seems that personal responsibility that may be initially inspired by, you know, being your own bank bleeds into so many other aspects of your life. You know, you alluded to the behavior change component of Bitcoin earlier, and that's a narrative that's becoming a lot more, I, I think, I feel like it's, it's probably still in the kind of insular community of hardcore Bitcoiners, but I think it's not too far away from bleeding out maybe into the broader culture, maybe during the next yeah. bull run or something like that. But it's like that personal responsibility, that desire to be self-sovereign is not just a financial thing. It's a, it's a health thing. It's a relational thing. It's a philosophical, I mean, it just kind of branches out into many different areas. Yeah. And to be clear, I'm not perfect. I'm not like the sure, most sure. well put together person I know at all, but <laughs> I definitely I have gotten better through the years. I, I like to think at least and. um, Slowly but surely, uh, I do definitely still have my flaws, my and my vices. But um, it, uh, it, again, Bitcoin being the impetus to think about this stuff because um, you have to weigh the opportunity cost uh, definitely is a net positive in my mind. Totally. Um, where do you kind of see yourself in, let's say, three years? So don't, I won't get crazy and say ten or something like that. But you know. Uh, you know, what do you want to be at in three years? How do you see things unfolding? Um, that's a good question. Uh, so this whole journey with the newsletter and the podcast has sort of been organic up to this point and really um, natural, just sort of letting it take me wherever it goes. And it seems like it's uh, drifting towards like more evergreen content and maybe focusing on this stuff full time at some point. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to have... Uh, TFTC sort of built out with more evergreen content and just uh, uh, a source of Bitcoin education on the web and um, hopefully am well into starting a family at that point. Uh, already I'm married um, and uh, yeah, so maybe might not be in New York City anymore. Um, trying to settle down as I head into my 30s. Yeah, so I'll be in my early 30s then. I don't know. Hopefully, coaching lacrosse in some capacity at some, some uh, somewhere as well. But uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I, again, this has all been very organic. I'm just sort of riding the wave, if you will. But your intention is to stay in the space and kind of continue to uh, yeah. do more inside yeah. of it, right? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Um, it's. Yeah. I'm hooked. Uh, and, and unless it, it blows up in, in our faces, <laughs> I think I'll be here to stay uh, yeah. writing about Bitcoin and unless it gets boring and then who knows what, uh, maybe I'll, uh, have to find a new interest. Are, are you public about your, like your day to day work or is that something you keep private? Um, it's a, keep it close to the chest. I work for a company. Um, yeah, I like to keep it close to the chest cause we're in many things that, uh, that, uh, I can't really talk about all of them. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Marty, that's it, man. That's all I got for you. John, thank you. I really appreciate it. This is fun. Man, I, uh, I, I 
appreciate you giving me the time. We did about an hour and a half. I know you, you probably got a lot of stuff to do, so I do really appreciate it. Super fun to chat. Is there anywhere, uh, I know a lot of people, listeners are going to know your, your stuff already, but for those who don't, you want to just throw some stuff out? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Marty Bent. Um, I write Marty's Bent, which is daily newsletter. And then, of course, we have Tales from the Crypt, uh, uh, colon, a Bitcoin podcast on your local podcasting station. And then, yeah, we, we aggregate all of our content at tftc.io, um, uh, sort of brand that we've been building in. So you can find Marty's Bent and the podcast there. Um, yeah, that's probably probably best. Yeah, and uh, everyone, the podcast is awesome. If you if you're looking for Bitcoin related content, Marty and his occasional co-host Matt do an awesome job at uh, just informing everybody. Some good color there, no nonsense uh, dialogue, which I think endears a lot of uh, your audience to you guys. Um, if I'm ever coming through New York, I'd love to. Uh, do a face-to-face one of these things, either on yours or on mine, but maybe get a little whiskey in the mix and, and loosen it up a bit next time. But uh, until then, man, I wish you uh, all the best in your endeavors, and uh, we'll, we'll talk in the future. Awesome. Definitely let me know if you come to New York. That would be great. Will do. Take care, brother. All right. See you. Cheers. Bye-bye. What's up, guys? Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I just wanted to say I hope you're having a good day. hope you're smiling. hope you're feeling good. hope you're engaging in work that you enjoy. Hope you're striving towards something better. Hope you have good relationships in your life. Yeah, just hope you're happy. That's it. See you.